1: Welcome again to Occupation Station. I'm Diane Donato and our guest today, Joe Medici's. He's the vice president of Bodax Bio. He has years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry, mostly in biotech and startups, years of clinical experience. He's helped five biotech companies transition from clinical stage to commercial stage by supporting FDA applications. Joe's been involved in the launch preparations of 10 products. In the 2000s, Joe was playing a key role in the drafting of two New York state bills which became law, one of them allowing pharmacists to administer vaccines in New York, the other allowing advanced practice pharmacists to enter into collaborative prescription agreements with physicians. He has over two dozen peer-reviewed publications, over 100 abstracts and posters presented at scientific meetings, and three issued pharmaceutical patents and He's making time for us today. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Well, I'm honored. I've seen the list of people that have been interviewed on this station prior to me, and I'm just honored to uh, have been asked the opportunity to join that list. It's just a great honor to be asked to participate in this. So thank you, Dane.
1: We are so thankful to everybody who shares their expertise, their wisdom, their advice with our ACPHS students. And to that end, I think we'll take you back to the start now that we have an idea of all you've accomplished. Why did you decide to attend ACPHS and what kind of a career did you imagine you would have?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is going back a little bit of time now, but I was a, uh, just like probably most of the kids who who join uh, ACPHS to intend to be a pharmacist, I too worked in a retail pharmacy. It was a little drugstore, in North Syracuse, New York, called North Syracuse Pharmacy, and I was under the tutelage of two really great pharmacists, Ed Stevens and Al Rivlin, both uh, ACP graduates as well. They suggested that I might become a pharmacist because of my interests and uh, in, in the sciences and, and, as well as in chemistry as well as biology. And you know, they really steered me in that direction. They helped me pick the right classes in high school and to. You know, helped me with finding the right set of opportunities in my background in order to get into pharmacy school at the time. I had imagined that I would become a community pharmacist and perhaps own a drugstore someday because at the time that's what a lot of the local best pharmacists had done. They had broken away from the different types of previous sets of training that they had and had opened their own pharmacy. And so That was something that I had had looked at as something that I would want to do when I entered pharmacy school.
1: That is a wonderful story, and you became part of the class of 91.
0: That's right. I became part of the class of 91, and as the years went along, uh, as it turns out, I got a job in a hospital pharmacy uh, at Upstate Medical University, and I was actually in charge of moving the IV bags from the stockroom of the pharmacy all the way up to the eight different units and eight floors that they had in the hospital. So uh, I really worked my way from the ground floor up to the university hospital system there. And uh, it, it was at that time I really got an appreciation for what some of the hospital pharmacists were doing on the units and on the floors. At the time, we had four or five satellite pharmacies on different floors. And I really enjoyed watching those pharmacists interact with the healthcare providers directly. Many of them uh, were the nurses and the doctors and the residents that were there at the uh, hospital and then watched those roles grow. We um, didn't have a full-time PharmD on staff. We had a part-time PharmD on staff, can you imagine? Uh, And that was uh, pretty much the extent of the of the expansion of clinical services that existed at that time.
1: You've also worked at a few startups throughout your career. Can you tell us about some of those experiences?
0: Well, sure. After my time at the hospital, I uh, had the opportunity to foray into the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, inside the pharmaceutical industry, there's uh, pretty much uh, one of two ways that people have a tendency to be practicing, if you will, uh, in, in the industry. One is with large companies, and then the other is with certain medium to smaller-sized companies. My interests in the pharmaceutical industry have been closer to the medium-sized companies and smaller-sized companies, and, and now I'm working at a number of uh, startups. And you know, these startup companies are basically based on an idea of bringing one or two new drug therapies to market, and the opportunities there are, are just absolutely amazing because – depending on the scope of the organization and what it is that the company's needs are at the time, a pharmacist can fill so many of those needs. And and that's what I've found, and that's what I think is the most interesting part of being part of a startup, is that whether it's a chemistry issue, a clinical issue, uh, or some other commercial issue that that comes up, commonly in, in these smaller companies, that pharmacists really can play... An important
1: role. Is it hard for you to choose between the different startups?
0: Yeah well um, a lot of that has to do with timing because unfortunately many startups fail. In fact if you look at some of the statistics there's about 5,000 drug companies and 5,000 compounds rather that are searching for you know what turns out to be between a 50 and 100 FDA approvals per year. (laughs) And so some of those companies go belly-up because of poor data our phase three data that doesn't go uh, quite the way we hope. Uh, sometimes we meet uh, and head on into some issues with regulatory affairs where the company needs more data, the, the FDA requests more data or gets a complete response letter, and, and the company needs to go back and restart or relook at different studies. When that happens, oftentimes there's some reorganizations and uh, we end up moving around to different startup companies. And we, we end up sort of in this group of people that are good at startups. And uh, I happen to be, uh, have turned out to be one of the people that's been involved in so many of those. So I get a lot of phone calls uh, about different opportunities.
1: What can you tell us about your current responsibilities at Botox Bio?
0: Yeah. So Botox Bio is a small company that launched a opportunity for a non-opiate analgesic in the peri-anesthesia time period. So that when uh, you're coming out of anesthesia, you have the opportunity to be treated with something other than an opiate, and um, this product uh, is an uh, injectable, non-steroidal product, which reduces pain. My role here as uh, vice president of medical affairs is I report to the chief medical officer, but the vice president of medical affairs, it's really a, it's a senior leadership position. It has high visibility. There's a lot of strategic importance that goes behind that, and essentially, you're the real person who's responsible for setting the medical affairs strategies. And the responsibilities are both inside the office, inside the headquarters, as well as setting the field medical science liaison strategies. Um, and those are essentially regionally based medical directors, uh, MDs, PharmDs, PhDs, sometimes nurses and uh, other uh, healthcare providers that provide information to the real important uh, top leading research doctors in the country and provide that connection and make that connection. And so the medical affairs group is responsible for managing that communication, the identification of patients at times, sometimes medical education for those key physicians and and providers, um, as well as development of safety programs interacting with investigators and and interacting with regulatory affairs authorities, you know, essentially you're the voice, you end up being the voice of the company to the outside world because we're the first ones to hit the ground when it comes to having a new product available prior to its Becoming labeled or FDA approved, and that's when the commercial company, commercial group, joins the company, and the medical affairs group is, is then transitioned to having a less important role because now you have a, a commercialized product where there will be perhaps 10 times the number of people joining an organization that are salespeople or what people, most people refer to as sales reps. But the medical affairs are, those are medical science liaisons that are mostly employed by companies to provide you know, a scientific and strategic communication platform that explains the science that underlies the drug, the company's drug development pro- program.
1: What would you say would be the most challenging part of that work?
0: Well, it's never easy to take what are, you know, hard concepts and explain them to people in ways that make sense. You know, we see in our world today a lot of times where science becomes misinterpreted, and you see this all the time in the news. And so, the challenge, of course, is for the medical affairs team is to make sure that everything that we have, uh, that we say, is based on facts, that it is appropriate with regards to scientific exchange, and that, you know, the ultimate beneficiary of this should be patients. And the difference really becomes in, in your practice, per se, in your your practice as a pharmacist is having broader strokes. So instead of you know, working with one patient or going on rounds for, you know, a dozen patients inside a hospital, you have the opportunity to, you know, provide medical education, medical information for a product that will touch thousands of lives. And so that is uh, really important that what you put out there, what you say, how you represent the company becomes very factual.
1: It sounds like such meaningful work. Do you have a favorite aspect of it?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it is a great job. You get to go around the country uh, and meet the best scientists around the world and communicate with them, as well as around the country, around the world sometimes. And, you know, what could be better than having an opportunity to go out and talk science with top scientists to collect what their perspectives are on data that your company is responsible for producing as well as to, you know, share their insights back to the company in terms of what those key physicians, those key doctors' opinions
2: are.
1: We have many more questions for Joe Medici's, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from Dr. Greg Dewey.
2: It is important that we do our best to control the cost of higher education. We at the college have always tried to maintain a very reasonable increase in net tuition so that we grow that net tuition at about the same rate as inflation. But even with that, it's very expensive, and so we want to raise money to help relieve some of the pressure on our students. We are in the middle of a a fundraising campaign, and one of the primary goals of that fundraising campaign is to raise a lot of money in scholarship funds, and we're going to raise money from our stakeholders, from our alumni. Many of our alumni, they've had an experience at the college that they look back very fondly and they see that it was very formative for them and these alumni want to give so that other students have the opportunities that they have so they're a a dedicated group. The expense of higher education is a national issue. Our students come from all sorts of backgrounds so they come from all kinds of social economic backgrounds. We get a lot of students from rural settings. This financial hub is very very important to allow them to pursue their studies. But it does another thing other than just the financial part of it is it is a great affirmation for these young people. You have a 18-, 19-, 20-year-old. They're on a very tentative career path, and when they get that scholarship, that is a great pat on the back. It sort of says to them – Yes, you are on the right track. You are doing well, and you're being rewarded for that. But having that scholarship for sport, especially a name scholarship, that's a boost. That's a boost for a student, and it's a great affirmation. So these scholarships do too. They, they obviously help out financially, but it is a great encouragement.
1: And we are back with Joe Medici. He's the vice president of medical affairs at Bonux Bio. We wanted to ask you a little bit about your role in advancing the scope of practice in New York. I know that's something that a lot of people have been watching. What can you tell us about that?
0: Right. Well, thanks for asking about that. When I was a clinical pharmacist practicing at Upstate Medical University, I was a critical care pharmacist. It's one of the uh, first PharmDs in Upstate New York. We started one of the first residencies uh, in the Upstate New York region. One of the things that we found was that our scope of practice was inconsistent with sort of the more advanced clinical activities that we found in other states. Um, And so I got involved in the New York State Council of Health System Pharmacists, which I would encourage all students to participate in some professional organization as soon as possible in their career. And during that time, I ran for Vice President of Governmental Affairs, uh, 1999, 2000 time period. And we started a new initiative, uh, Drive to Raise Money, and a new initiative to change the scope of practice for pharmacists in New York State. We hired a new lobbyist and we drafted a, uh, a bill that had lots to do with uh, collaborative drug therapy management. And it, it is really, when I look back at the current scope of practice practicing CDTM today and how pharmacists are practicing, I, I can see you know, the skeleton of the first drafting of that bill with uh, Lobbyists and the president uh, at the time, Tom Lombardi of uh, New York State Council, and me sitting in their office doing that. It was a really exciting time for for pharmacy. It took us many years from that point to uh, get the bill passed, and we had to make you know a lot of compromises, some of which we still see in that bill today. And so that's why we need students and young practitioners participating in helping to mold and frame how the scope of practice for pharmacists changes as we move into the next 10, 10 to 15 years. It's a really exciting time to get involved in professional organizations, and there's, there's lots to change, whether it's scope of practice on CDTM or scope of practice on what immunizations pharmacists can administer in pharmacies. You know, I, I think those are, are, are some big changes that need to occur to allow pharmacists to practice at the top of the profession, at the top of their licensure, and at the top of their education.
1: What are some of the most important lessons you say that you've learned along the way throughout this varied career?
0: Well, thanks uh, for that question. Uh, the, the most, some of the most important lessons I've learned are to be open-minded. I think that just as when I came into pharmacy, I had this idea that I was going to be a, a community pharmacist and maybe even own my own store someday, but think of how that changed. I was open-minded enough to think about hospital pharmacy, to think about getting my PharmD after my bachelor's degree at Albany College of Pharmacy, to think about starting a pharmacy residency program. You know, that, to be open-minded, to actually make a career change and in work into uh, pharmaceutical industry was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. So it's that open-mindedness that comes along with not being afraid to think that you really can have a large influence on how things go. Uh, and, how, and you know, I used to have a, a secretary uh, who would say to me every morning, you know, how are we going to change the world today, Joe? And uh, it was really my attitude, Does it, you know, have that open-mindedness that we, we can change the world. There are things that can be changed. Sometimes change occurs slowly. There's a good reason for that. Changes are iterative. But don't be afraid to be a part of the team and join professional organizations so that you can help improve and change the way pharmacy is practiced today.
1: I like that a lot. Now, you were part of the class of 91. If you could change any one thing in your own education and training, what would that be?
0: Oh, right. So that's a great question. And uh, so I was part of the class of 91 with my bachelor's. In 93, I graduated from St. John's University with my PharmD Imagine those were the days where there was only five or six of us that were in the PharmD class at at each of the schools, both Albany and St. John's. And at the time, Albany, that was their first year Albany College of Pharmacy offered the PharmD. But when I completed my PharmD, there weren't a lot of residencies available. In fact, there was only one residency between uh, New York City. There was one in Albany. There was one in Buffalo. And then between uh, Albany and Buffalo, there was one in Cooperstown. But I did not choose to complete a residency. I wish I had had done that. I think that would have pushed my career forward even further. So if that's something you're contemplating, I definitely would do that. Choosing the right residency site based on people that you are going to see as your mentors couldn't be more important. Uh, The other thing that was said to me early in my career that I I wish I had considered was to to have the opportunity to at least try to be a medical reviewer at FDA. Um, It wasn't something, that would have been something that would have been very helpful in my transition into industry had I had that sort of regulatory experience as well, but um, I'm aware of people in my shoes that have had that year or two stint at FDA through residency or training or through uh, working there as a medical reviewer or or supporting advisory committees uh, as pharmacists, and really it makes a big difference in the connections that they've been able to make throughout the industry. So, have an open mind, think of all the different things that you can do as a, as a pharmacist. There's so much that, that can be learned from you and, and so much that you can contribute to society as a whole. It's a really absolutely amazing uh, number of places that you can get involved in.
1: I am sure that you have inspired a lot of our students and prospective students as well. Would you have any other advice for ACPHS students?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the other advice is Look for places to work where there's high-functioning teams. You know, How do you grade or gauge that is by talking to different individuals within those teams, seeing what it's like within the management of those teams, and finding places where the management of your career and the management of your internships and your residencies are, is going to make and match to your interests and needs. And looking for the teams that are going to support those needs, whether it be through ensuring that you get a first publication or, uh, or that you're able to attend a, uh, your first medical meeting. Those are all, you know, really important things that change, can change the way people's careers go. And getting involved in those types of things early um, and looking for places where you can be involved in a high-functioning team that can always be part of your passion and can help you to make sure that you're in a place to grow at all times.
1: Joseph Medicis from Bondex Bio, the Vice President of Medical Affairs there. We really, really appreciate your time today and, and your good advice.
0: Thanks, Diane. I really, again, am um, humbled by the opportunity to speak to you guys today, and I wish all the students and faculty and all my old friends back at Albany College of Pharmacy the best of luck.
1: For more information or to schedule a tour, visit acphs.edu. You can tune in to all of our informative stories at acphs.edu forward slash podcast. Each podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeart, giving you the opportunity to listen from a mobile device. Mark Occupation Station as a favorite, and you'll receive push notifications as soon as we publish something new. Occupation Station is also a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, the largest podcast content directory dedicated to the business and profession of pharmacy.